Howdy, folks. It's Tuesday, April 26th. I'm Jacob Cohen here with Hustle writer Rob Litters, and this is the Hustle Daily Show. Later in today's episode... So it appears we are moving on to chapter three of the Elon Twitter saga. The $44 billion deal basically was signed, sealed, and delivered yesterday. It's the talk of town. How did we get here? What does it mean? What happens next? Don't give a Well, we'll discuss maybe why you should. But before we get into that, as always, here are a few things you should know. Let's get cracked lacking. How we doing, Rob? Doing good, JC. The first thing that I've got my eye on this morning... Netflix is finally going to do it. They are finally cracking down on password sharing. Mm. Do you share a password on Netflix before we get into the details here? I guess, technically speaking, I am someone who uses a password that was shared with me. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so am I. So we can call ourselves like the sharees. We're not the sharers. Yeah. It's like within the family, but exactly. you know, I live apart. So Netflix claims that 100 million users share passwords and it costs them 1.6 billion annually. It's absolutely insane. They are finally going to crack down, but it sounds like they're not going to be freezing accounts anytime soon. Instead, they're going to be charging a small additional fee, which seems like it's going to be about $3 to add what they're calling a sub account. So it's basically a way for you to kind of add another account to an existing Netflix account. Mm hmm. Here's where it gets really interesting, though. So a recent survey found that 80% of American Netflix users wouldn't pay for Netflix themselves if somebody got rid of the account that they used to share. Wow. Yeah. So considering Netflix's recent earnings miss of how they lost 200,000 subscribers, which resulted in a $55 billion loss to their overall value as a company, it's not really the best time for Netflix to lose more subscribers. So- I would expect this to be rolled out really, really slowly over time. Yeah, it's funny you say this because when this was kind of coming out, I saw some TikToks about it. And anyone who really uses TikTok knows the best part of TikTok is the comment section. Mm. And so that's the first place you go to see how people are reacting to things, what people's thoughts are. And so I was clicking on the comments. People were roasting (laughs) Netflix. These are direct quotes, comments with thousands of likes. Here we go. Netflix be making some blockbuster decisions. (laughs) I saw one. Netflix needs to chill. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. So Netflix wants to increase the number of Disney Plus subscribers, I guess. (laughs) You know, this is what people are seeing and... It's not exactly scientific data, but it sometimes can be a good indication of how the people feel. So, Oh, yeah. It's like the perfect way to gauge sense. <laughs> exactly. TikTok comments, baby. That's where it's at. Okay, JC. So what are you looking at? Okay. So one thing I was looking at is Meta launching its first hardware retail store on its campus in California. Wow. So the store will let visitors try out Meta's VR headsets. Remember, Meta was formerly known as Facebook. Yeah. What's interesting, though, this store is only about 1,500 square feet. It's open from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. just on weekdays, and it's not exactly in the middle of Times Square, you know. So the purpose seems really to be just to test out the format, because if you want it to be a go-to destination, that's not a good formula for that. Yeah. What's interesting is that hardware stores like these in general have proven to be 
extremely successful and strategically smart for companies like Apple, for example. And a lot of insiders have said Zuck really thinks VR and these headsets can be his kind of iPhone moment. Right. So maybe this is meta trying to see the potential in exercising the same strategy for these headsets. But I just saw one stat recently that I absolutely loved from Piper Sandler's annual survey on teen trends. It said even though 26% of teens own a VR device, just 5% use it daily. And 48% of teens are either unsure or just not interested in the metaverse at all. (laughs) So we'll see how all this goes. Well, it's really interesting because you you mentioned that the store format's only 1,500 square feet. And the average Apple store is 8,400 square feet. So it's about a seventh or an eighth of the size of an Apple store. So not very big at all. And then they're going to have people in there swinging their fists around, you know, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, it kind of seems like a warehouse would be a better fit for letting people try out VR. In other news, Coke reported earnings yesterday. Revenue jumped 16% year over year to $10.5 billion, buoyed by renewed consumer demand at places like stadiums and restaurants around the globe. But costs rose 17%. You can think about aluminum, plastic, sugar, and shipping, which are all skyrocketing in price. The company raised prices to manage that, but CEO James Quincy basically said there's going to be a point where people look at the price tag on a Coke and say, yeah, no thanks. Also, Activision Blizzard reported earnings and saw more than 22% drop in sales from a year ago, primarily due to weaker demand for its Call of Duty titles. The company agreed to be bought by Microsoft for $75 billion in January. And with that... Let's discuss the story that will likely never end, but is at least moving on to the next chapter, Elon and Twitter. <laughs> and what an interesting story it has been so far. So I can't even believe I'm saying this, but Elon Musk is buying Twitter for $44 billion. Before we get into the implications, JC, let's just walk through a quick timeline of how we actually got here. Mm-hmm. So on April 4th, Musk disclosed that he purchased a 9.3% stake in Twitter, becoming the company's largest shareholder. Shortly after that, so the next day, Musk was offered a board seat, which he declined about five days later, I believe, on the 10th. And then four days after that, April 14th, Musk offered to buy Twitter for $43 billion. Shortly thereafter, on the 15th, Twitter's board adopted a poison pill defense, which, long story short, is basically a move that prevents unwanted takeovers. Fast forward to the 21st, which was last Thursday, and Musk announced that he had secured funding for his proposed purchase which included $25 billion in debt financing led by Morgan Stanley. And then fast forward to yesterday, Twitter accepted Musk's offer. So, whew, that's a lot. Quite the series of events. <laughs> we only had so much time. So I think one of the biggest questions that people are asking is what caused Twitter to come around? And it turns out Musk, who has been referred to as the greatest car salesman who has ever lived, (laughs) supposedly took his sales chops to Zoom last Friday, outlining his intentions and seriousness about the purchase to a group of select shareholders via video conference. Mm. Which brings up the next question. What exactly does Elon want to do with Twitter? Yeah, what's going to happen now? So I think everybody knows he wants to take Twitter private. That was kind of part of his offer. He said Twitter will neither thrive nor serve its societal imperative in its current form and needs to be transformed as a private company. Right. But beyond that, some of the things that he's called out is 
kind of his biggest priorities are reducing content moderation, eliminating bots, relying less on advertising. Mm. And then he has some kind of product focused tweaks that he wants to make. He's advocated for a lot of the same features that some of the tech Twitter elite have, like including an edit button yep. and offering longer tweets and even making the algorithm more open source and kind of giving people freedom to get recommendations for whatever they want to see. But ultimately, like, we, we have no idea what Twitter is going to look like under Elon Musk's reign. No, at this point. I mean, I think officials from the Biden administration were, I'm sure, freaking out today. Totally. <laughs> because I think it hasn't been made explicitly clear, but it, he seemed to imply that people like President Trump should be allowed back onto Twitter. It seems like Elon wants to take that approach to Twitter. He really wants it to be just a town square where totally. you can go to and say whatever you so desire, as long as no one's in imminent danger. Right. But we'll see how this all plays out. Yeah. But I think politically, it's going to be, a, it could be really interesting. According to Elon, his motivations for buying Twitter really seem to be for societal good is kind of how he's been pitching it, right? So mm -hmm. he said that a social media platform's policy should leave both the left and the right equally unhappy. So oh. to your point, there probably <laughs> is a chance that, um, that Trump is going to come back on the platform. Yeah. But what's interesting is Musk obviously has a lot of critics yeah. and they're not convinced that he has pure intentions with this. One of my favorite takes on it, Kyle Shaika from The New Yorker, who's a great writer on tech, he argued that Musk's bid is an attempt to maintain his ability to influence millions of people without interference, basically to use Twitter as a microphone and just blast his messages about Tesla and SpaceX, which if that ends up happening, it's going to be very, very ironic because Musk has been a fearless critic of Jeff Bezos, who owns The Washington Post, yeah. and Mark Benioff who owns Time Magazine and has just called them out and has basically called out the entire idea of billionaires owning media companies. And now he's essentially the biggest culprit of that. I think some people are worried about something along those lines here. But I loved what you said before about what Musk tweeted about, uh, you know, both parties being unhappy because one of my favorite <laughs> quotes from Curb Your Enthusiasm and Larry David is when he said, a good compromise is when both parties are dissatisfied. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that is kind of what has happened here to some extent. Channeling his inner Larry David. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Bada bing, bada boom. That is it, folks. For more on The Hustle's tech and business coverage and links to all kinds of cool stuff from around the web, join our newsletter at thehustle.co. Thanks to our editor, Robert Hartwig, and executive producer, Darren Clark. I'm Jacob Cohen here with Rob Letters. You've been listening to The Hustle Daily Show, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. See you tomorrow. Hey, everybody. I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne, Elliot, as they dispel myths impart wisdom and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts.